You're listening to Echo Zoe Radio, episode 36 for April 2011, with guest Christine Pack on the topic of universalism and Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 36 for April 2011. My guest this episode is Christine Pack, returning for a second episode in three months. For this episode, we talk about universalism and the book that's been big in the news, Rob Bell's Love Wins. Well, welcome, Christine. Thanks uh, for joining me again. Not, not only are you back, but quite quickly after our last episode. Yeah, thank you, Andy, for having me back. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it was, I think, a little bit providential, but um, been <laughs> quite busy in the last, uh, almost the last month. And I got got out the last episode with Ryan and and started. And I always start thinking right away about who do I want to interview again and what do I want to talk about. And mm-hmm. doing one episode a month, it, 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 I can kind of let the time get away from me sometimes. Um, I did email somebody I thought would be a fun guest and never heard back. So that can <laughs> that can be interesting too, because then it leaves me in a position where I'm I, I give them too much time, and then now I'm scurrying. Like, what am I going to do? And and um, I, I think it's been helpful too that you've been approaching me to talk about um, the subject we're going to talk about today. That's right. Um, I actually, yeah, I don't know if you want me to talk about that, but I. I uh, called you and said, I really, really want to talk about this <laughs> issue because yeah, I think it's really big right now, and um, I, I think it's not being fought head-on in the way that it needs to be uh, or addressed in the way it needs to be. When I do shows, I, I tend to like to be somewhat timeless, and this is a subject that well, that can be both timeless and very timely. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about Rob Bell and, and his new book, Love Wins. Which has just been all over the news the last few weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. It ties into uh, emergent and uh, universalism, and you know, a lot of subjects there that we can we can kind of make timeless, but yet address a, a very timely subject. So today we're going to talk about Rob Bell and, and kind of some of the doctrinal issues that are being dealt with uh, in the open area of discourse regarding his book. Maybe we could get started just talking a little bit. Let's just set it up, talk a little bit about the book itself, and then we can go give some background. Can you talk about the book a little bit? Sure, I can do that. I think it was about a month ago. I'm not sure exactly. But Ron Bell released a little video promo setting up this new book that you mentioned, Love Wins. And in this video promo, he sounded as if he were going to be making a case for universalism in his book. And universalism, of course, is a belief that all paths lead to God, you know, that God's at the top of this mountain and that everybody makes their way up there. Mm -hmm. And so the blogosphere, the Christian blogosphere, just kind of exploded. John Piper tweeted a very famous tweet that went around the world where he said, farewell, Rob Bell. And people started blogging and writing, and um, and then the counter attack from Rob Bell's camp was, you don't need to be, you know, responding to this. He hasn't even released the book yet. How dare you have an opinion? But it was very clear from the video that this was the angle that he was going to take. Um, we weren't exactly sure how that was going to take form in his book, but it was pretty clear from the from the video that he released that that was where he was going. Mm-hmm. So that all happened in the last month or last six weeks, and then it was released, and I wound up with a slightly advanced copy. <laughs> I think I got mine about a week before it was officially released. And yeah, I was going to say, I, I actually saw your copy, yeah. and, and I, <laughs> right. I didn't know that it hadn't been officially released when I was looking through your heavily highlighted and dog-eared <laughs> copy. Yes, heavily highlighted and dog-eared and notes made and tabs sticking out. Yes. <laughs> it's 
it's um, rife with theological error, this book. And what everybody feared, you, you know, that he was headed toward universalism is exactly true, and it's exactly what he laid out mm-hmm. in this book. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the background, and you've got um, some some history that you wanted to discuss, and we'll, we'll kind of build our, our, our case up to Rob Bell, but that's the background. That's kind of where we're heading. Okay. You wanted to talk about going back about a hundred years. This uh, this well battle that's sure. been going on between conservatives and liberals, and well, actually, let me go back a little bit further than that. I would make the case that um, the first apologist for universalism was Satan in the Garden of Eden when he approached Adam and Eve and said, you shall surely not die in Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. Right there, Satan is denying that their sin is going to lead to spiritual death. You know, um, the promise of universalism is that there is no spiritual death, that all are going to make it in. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say Satan was the very first apologist for universalism. Mm-hmm. So let's just, you know, fast forward and go to the maybe the 3rd century A.D., after Christ has come and made atonement. Um, Origen was the very first Christian universalist. He claimed to be a Christian, but he taught a form of universalism, and, and that was the very the fir- probably the first seed of uh, Christian universalism that was sown. So universalism has been around for, you know, thousands, thousands of years, really, mm-hmm. since the beginning. The biggest push in that battle, I would say, was probably in the 1800s. I mean, there, and I'm not a historian, so I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, from 3rd century up to the 1800s, but I know sure. in our country that this battle really kind of came to a head. You know, I actually even have a book that was published in 1858, and it's called The Pitts Street Chapel Lectures. And the premise of this book, it's kind of laid out in the forward, is what shall I do to be saved? And so they had six clergymen from supposedly six different denominations, and some of them are, you know, Christian denominations, Methodist, Episcopalian, Baptist, but then they have a Universalist and a Unitarian worked into the mix, too. And they're calling them denominations. Well, we know they're not denominations of Christianity, but... Mm-hmm. That was kind of the atmosphere in the 1800s among the very sophisticated and the ultra-tolerant, you know, in in intelligentsia, what they wanted to do was bring together the best and brightest minds and get these ideas together and hash them out and let truth be decided that way. Well, the problem is that's not how truth is decided. Truth has already been decided for us by God, and it's it's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Mm -hmm. of, of the Bible. And what you're describing is, um, they call it the dialectic process? Yes. This, uh, uh, yes. Thesis, antithesis, um, and th- synthesis. Right, right, right. And I think that flowed over from Europe, and so a lot of European yeah. thought was coming into this country. And so, yeah, exactly right. You take your your thesis and your antithesis, which is the opposite idea of your thesis, which is your idea, and they fight it out, fight it out, fight it out, and then they're going to merge together, and then there's going to come out of that this greater idea. Well, that was the premise of this book that mm-hmm. I have from, you know, the mid-1800s is you get this these ideas and then these opposite ideas, and they fight, 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 and then you get a better idea. Mm-hmm. But that's not how truth is decided. I think my um, long-term memory isn't always the greatest, but I did a, an episode with Bob DeWay. Um, mm-hmm. Right. can't even remember exactly when that was, if it was about a year ago or maybe a little longer when he, he wrote his book. Right. That may have been a couple of years, because I remember when his book came out, sure. and it was, it's a phenomenal book about that. He talks about that, and, and he links it back to the German... Um, yes. The Germans. Yes, the and, German philosophical um, right. movement. Right. So I think that's where a lot of those ideas came from in America. Is those, those thoughts were flowing in from Europe, and a lot of that German philosophy uh, was coming in. I can't remember the names. I think maybe one of them is Hegel. Yes. Uh, Jürgen yep. Moltmann was one of them. Yes, yep. So, yeah. So that was going on here in America. So from the mid to late 1800s to the turn of the century, the early 1900s, this battle is just raging. And so at that time, our country, 
here in America was much more theologically grounded than we are now. And mm-hmm. so it was really a fierce battle. And so the conservative Orthodox Christians, theologians, they got together and they hammered out what came to be known as the five fundamentals. And so I'm going to just make a statement here that I know that fundamentalism has come to um, not mean a good thing. And I, and I mm-hmm. get that. But where that term came from was from this document that came about as a response to the heresies that were going on in the 1800s and the turn of the century, the ones that were in play that the conservative Christian evangelicals were, were trying to battle against. And so what they came up with was, it was a long series of documents, but it, it essentially could be um, distilled down into these five beliefs, and they are that we believe in the deity of Christ, we believe in the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the bodily resurrection, and the inerrancy of Scripture. And those beliefs were considered to be so essential to the Christian faith that a lack of belief in just one of those doctrines is considered heresy. Okay, so that's, mm-hmm. that's fundamentals, and they came out in the early, I want to say it was like 19... 17. I, I could totally be wrong on that, but I think that's when those documents finally got hammered out. Mm-hmm. So from that point, let's say, moving forward the next hundred years, you start getting influenced by the seeker-sensitive movement and Christian businessmen who probably had, you know, good motivation to try to, um, I guess, broaden the the scope of the church and bring people in. They wanted to downplay what they thought were the, was the problem with the church, and they thought it was too much doctrine. The doctrine mm-hmm. and systematic theology and things like that were kind of driving people out of church. So they played those things down in favor of, you know, more self-help-type sermons, you know, six steps to better finances and four well, steps Well, they're thinking in terms marriage. of how they run their businesses. You, you run a business by exactly. giving your customers what they want. Exactly. You're going to figure out what the felt needs are, yep. and then you're going to go meet those needs. And so they were sending out surveys, and this still goes on in evangelicalism today. They were sending out surveys to the communities, what would make you more likely to go to church. And so they'd hear, you know, rock and music and good coffee and casual and, you know, practical everyday help for this and that. And so they said, okay, we can, we can do that. So they began to set up churches as these, as an institution to, to meet the, the felt, to be known as the felt, felt needs, needs yep. yes, of the people in the community rather than, meeting people's spiritual needs, which was to, to know God through the study of his word. So over the course of this century, as we move from this battle between the conservatives and liberals, this dialectic process, and then into the seeker movement, mm-hmm. we're, we're basically seeing a disarmament of the uh, body of Christ, where we're, we're not uh, getting that doctrine that lets us right. understand the truth versus uh, recognizing a, a falsehood. Right. That's, that's a great way to put it, a, a disarmament, because instead of being equipped with, you know, systematic theology, especially in the youth groups, those started becoming, you know, ping pong and pizza and fun and be silly and um, eat peanut butter out of somebody's armpits. I mean, I, I saw, yeah, I mean, just crazy things. And there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's really nothing wrong with having fun. But you know, we need to be equipping our children and mm-hmm. so that they can stand against false teaching, lies, even heresy, you know, when it comes in and can point to it and say, okay, well, that right there challenges the, you know, I'm going to go back to the fundamentals here, that challenges the deity of Christ, that challenges the inerrancy of Scripture, that challenges, challenges the atonement. Mm-hmm. And they need to know all of the doctrine. There's so much doctrine inherent in those five fundamentals that I laid out. So without knowing those things, well, and I should also say that we've moved into this ultra-tolerant period of time, and postmodernism has played into that as well, where we're not to question, we're not to judge. When people come with different views or things that don't sound quite right, I've heard that many, many times. You know, who are you to judge? Who are you to say? They claim the name of Christ. They claim to be Christian. And so, 
you know, you can't say. You can't say they're not. Only God knows the heart. Well, I agree mm-hmm. with that, that God, only God knows the heart. But at the same time, in in the book of First John, we're called to be fruit inspectors. We are called to to inspect a person's spiritual fruit, not for the purpose of judging in a condemning way, but if someone's off so that we can come alongside and exhort and get them to uh, a place where they are more in alignment with Scripture, not us, you know, right. but with Scripture. Right. So that, that's a good um, kind of background for what leads us up to what we're at today with this book, Rob Bell, uh, Love Wins by Rob Bell. Right. Yeah. So let's just dive in head first here and talk about <laughs> kind of the controversy over it and the nature of the book. And like I, I said, I saw your your copy. I know you read it thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob Bell. Okay, well, let me give a little bit of background on him. He has pastored a church for about 20 years. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he is a... Uh, he's been he's been called a rock star in the church world. That was in a Time magazine article from several years ago. He was named number ten on the fifty most influential Christians in America list by the Church Report magazine. And he has done he has written a number of books and he has done many many videos called the Numa videos N O O M A Numa mm-hmm. videos that literally sell by the thousands. And a lot of adults may not know who he is, but his materials are very popular at Christian youth conferences, and so the postmodern emergent church movement, of which he is a main leader, their main target is the youth. You know, that's who they're going after. That's who they're capturing. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I have a friend whose half-sister is in college still, so, you know, my friend's my age, but her her half-sister is college age, and she said that the big thing among her friends is that, you know, whatever new book comes out, that comes out, is is to go and get it, and it's, you know, you carry it around with you almost like your prop of, you know, look how hip and cool and relevant I am. So and she said everybody's got Rob Bell's book, because he's just, he's huge among the youth. And mm-hmm. a youth pastor also wrote me, and we were kind of talking about his influence among, you know, kids today and especially in youth groups. And he kind of mentioned in passing that uh, Christian universalism is kind of a trend among kids today, professing Christians, you know, church-going Christian kids, which I was just shocked by. I mean, I don't know why I was shocked, but but I was. So then I began to look more seriously into... Rob Bell and what he believes, and so I guess we ought to look at some of what he's talked about in his book here. You know, I I I think it might be important to point out that the emergence, Rob Bell included, all of them point to contemplative prayer, which mm-hmm. is supposedly a form of Christian prayer, but it's actually a form of mysticism. And it has really swept into churches. Where it comes from is a group of monastic, Roman Catholic monastic monks called the Desert Fathers who lived in the Middle East and Egypt at the very early part of the Middle Ages, you know, Mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago. And they were so heavily influenced by the, you know, the pagan Eastern cultures by them that even though they claimed to be Christian, they began to borrow heavily from the pagan cultures around them. And one of the things that they borrowed was this sort of uh, mantra meditation type thing that was very prevalent among the pagan cultures of the East. So even though what what there's, they call it contemplative prayer, so it sounds like a good thing, and they've worked in Christian terminology, but it uses this mind-emptying technique of, of employing some kind of mantra or some kind of device to corral your mind. Okay, so that is prevalent in, in the emergent community, of which Rob Bell is a leader. So um, where I would go with that is he has, I think adopted a panentheistic view of God and of the world. And by that I mean that's the Eastern view of God 
and the world, which is that God is in everything, we're all interconnected, there's a divine spark and energy flowing amongst and between all of us. And the reason I say that is when I was reading this book, I got to page 154, and on that page, Bell talks about Jesus as this mechanism by which everybody enters into heaven, basically. I mean, and that's basically the heart of his book, is that everybody gets to heaven, and it's through the mechanism of Jesus. Well, that sounds kind of cold and impersonal, but that really is the Mm -hmm. view of God in the East, this impersonal sort of, you know, not positive, not negative, not good, not bad, just this energy, a thing, a divine spark that that connects everything in the world. Well, that's kind of what mechanism sounds like to me, like a hinge on a door. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to to grasp how... How this? How does he think this mechanism is supposed to work? <laughs> he believes that Jesus's atonement on the death. Now, he, and he does use terminology that is familiar to Christians. He believes that there is an atonement, that there is sin, that God has wrath against sin. So he's using all of this terminology that's very familiar to Christians. Mm-hmm. But he believes that the atonement wipes the slate clean for everybody, and that there may be some who go to hell uh, for a limited period of time so that they can have their bad thinking, their bad whatever, kind of burned away. It's almost a Catholic purgatory. Like purgatory, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely the sense that I got when I read his book, that it, it's almost like a, a form of purgatory. Mm-hmm. You burn off the bad thinking, and then you end up there, and everybody ends up there. I, it's just coming to mind. You know, you were in town last week for um, a conference, right? The Psalm one nineteen Psalm one nineteen right. conference, and one of the speakers there was Dr. James White, yes. and he made a he talked a little bit briefly about uh, this Rob Bell and mm-hmm. and this whole idea of universalism, and made an excellent point about about hell, and that when somebody who is has set themselves against God. Mm-hmm. dies in their sin and and dies in a position where they they truly hate God. I mean it's right. it's this sounds harsh but that's what the Bible teaches that where we aren't before we're saved. And this the people die hating God and now God pushes them into our outer darkness mm-hmm. to be punished forever and removes that restraint that they have even in their position of hating God they on, on earth God has a restraint over them, and right. that's removed when they enter hell. It, it's just inconceivable that their mind would ever change, that they would all of a sudden repent and, and understand that God was right all along and decide that they're going to follow what they've been told all their life was true. Right, right. And the Bible doesn't leave that option open, that it's, you know, you may end up hating, you may die hating God Mm-hmm. Um, but someday you'll you'll evolve to that. I mean, you know, evolving and evolving your consciousness until you reach enlightenment. Like I said, is very much an Eastern view. You're going to evolve and right. evolve and evolve until you attain ah oh, truth, wisdom, enlightenment. But that's not nowhere in the Bible does it say that we have that option. That there's this secret trap door, you know, into heaven. Well, it all comes back to this. Die. I mean, we all kind of have this. Or well, I should say we all, but. I know I have it in me, and, and most of the people in my circles have it in me, have it in them. But that this desire for—I mean, we all want everybody to be saved. Yeah. We don't. I, we're you and I are reformed, and we understand how that happens. But mm-hmm. we we desire for everybody to be saved, and it's really difficult to understand that not everybody's going to be saved. In fact, most people are not going to be saved. But along with that mindset is. It's it's so easy to get caught into this uh, self deception that says that well when people get to hell they're going to immediately understand the error of their ways and right. if right. they had an opportunity to repent everyone would do so at that point mm-hmm. and I think that's why I really took note of what James White said at the conference because that's not only more in line with what the scriptures say. But it it really makes more sense. I mean, you you've hated God all your life, and then all, now you're being punished. 
you're just going to hate God all the more. You're not going to all of a sudden decide, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, I love you, God. I'm, I, right, I'm, I love I'm you sorry. now. I love you now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, think of a Richard Dawkins, you know, I mean, that's a, yeah. a good example. Yeah, I mean, he really, really hates God, and then all of a sudden God's going to turn his heart and... Or Christopher Hitchens, even. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Hitchens, I mean, you know, you, and, and we don't hate those guys, we pray for them, we pray for God to exactly. change their heart, and um, yeah. And I, I think there was another point, I'm sorry if I'm going off topic here, but... Um, you know, when I was reading Bell's book, I just kept thinking, you know, this is just, it's its offensive to me in the sense of um, there's no justice in this theology, really. You right. know, I, I remember one of the speakers was talking about, uh, at the Psalm 119 conference, about Christians who are locked away in prison, who, if they would only say, you know, Allah is the true God, if they would only yeah, say that. Yeah, that was another thing James White said, yeah. Yeah, was that James White? Okay. He said they could get out, they could see their loved ones, they could resume their life, and that they refused to do that. And that um, we don't really have a concept of that here, you know, but those people in their heart of hearts would have to be just thanking God that they know there is going to be a day of justice, Mm -hmm. you know, and it may not come in this lifetime for them, but, you know, our hearts cry out for justice, and so... When you see horrible, heinous sin in the world, you know, one of the articles I wrote about was, you know, how, how does Rob Bell's theology play out in the real world? You know, let's say you're a pedophile or a serial rapist or, you know, a greedy corporate um, chief executive officer of a company. Or a Hitler. And, or a Hitler, okay? And you come under some kind of conviction for your wrongdoings, you're conflicted, and then someone gives you a copy of Bell's book. Okay, so you read this book, and and after you read his book, you are going to surmise that you have two choices, all right? Number one, you can either make different choices in your life so as to stop creating hell for the people in your life affected by your choices, and after you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Or, choice number two, you spend the rest of your life doing exactly what you're already doing with the understanding that when you die, according to Bell's theology in this book, you're going to spend some time being pruned, and that's Bell's word, by undergoing an intense experience of correction. That's from Love Wins, page 91, after which you spend an eternity in heaven. So, you know, where's the justice in that? Yeah. Where's Where's the righteous judgment? The best they can hope for is to say, Somehow that pruning is the is where the justice is, but even that's difficult to to really grasp. I mean, yeah, and it's not and it's not supported by scripture. Exactly, it's not. He's taking he's taking scripture out of context to try to get there. We had a video you sent me, a YouTube video that I was going to play, where he he kind of responds to some of the critics. That was this done before the book was released, or was it? No, this came out uh, just about four or five days ago. Okay. It actually came out last weekend, so just, yeah, about a week ago. Okay. Well, the date on the the specific video says April 2nd, which would have been two weeks ago. But We're recording on um, April 17th. This probably won't be released for another week, but it, it at, at the time of recording, it's uh, April 17th. Well, yeah, he he released this as a response to all of the controversy and people calling him out for being a universalist. Well, here, I'll go ahead and play. Okay. My name is Rob, and I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm a Christian. And I, uh, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe Jesus is the way, and I believe in heaven, and I believe in hell, and I believe the Bible is God's word. And I'm not a universalist because I believe God's love is so great, God lets you decide. I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe the church is the fullness. I believe in the new heaven and the new earth. I believe in healing. I believe in miracles. I believe in salvation. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God is alive and working. I believe there's been a resurrection and there's a whole new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of this one, and I also believe it's best to only discuss books you've actually read. And the rest is mm. ten seconds of ten seconds of, of screaming and cheering because cheering because yeah. you shouldn't right, criticize books that you haven't read. 
That's right. I was going to write a post saying, I've read the book. Do I get to have an opinion now? (laughs) I'm so offended offended by the book. I really am. And, you know, what he laid out in his promo video pushing the book is exactly where he went. So to Mm -hmm. be kind of smug and say that people can't have opinions about it is a little disingenuous, but, you know. But he's got a lot of very um, orthodox sounding language there. He does, doesn't he? My name is Rob, and I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe Jesus is the way, and I believe in heaven, and I believe in hell, and I believe the Bible is God's Word. So, yeah, yeah. so the problem. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's somebody that we could trust our kids with. Doesn't it? The problem is, all of those things are redefined terms, and so anyone who does any kind of apologetics work at all with any of the cults knows that, and that I'm going to go out and on a limb right here and say that the emergent church movement is a cult. They oh, yeah. I think, terms. Yeah. I, th- I think that Bob DeWay made that case when we did our... Uh, yeah. He wrote his book, and we did our, the interview on the book. Uh, and that's a great book, uh, by the way. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's... Undefining, Undefining Christianity. Yeah, Undefining Christianity. It's a fantastic book a, for anyone a f- who... A follow-up to his first book was called Redefining Christianity, Redefining. which was uh, written about the uh, Rick Warren purpose-driven movement. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that whole movement, as you said, disarmed everybody, mm-hmm. and then now the Church is being undefined, even more so by the emergent Church movement, who, which kind of swept in to fill that void. But, so yeah, so, so Ron Bell makes all these, it almost sounds like a creed, you know, when I was listening to it, I thought that almost, you know, like we have the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and, mm-hmm. you know, this sounds like the Rob Bell Creed, where, I don't know, it just <laughs> kind of goes through all of these things, but... The well, it just says like a checklist that he's going through that he knows will pacify a yes. substantial portion of the audience that he's talking to. Yes, and people are going to say, well, right there, he believes in Christ, and he believes in heaven, and he believes mm-hmm. in hell, and so you can't say that he's not a Christian, you can't. He says right here, I'm not a universalist. Okay, he, the man is a universalist, but he's what I call a Christian universalist, and and it took me a while to figure out this particular flavor of universalism, and I kind of had like a forehead smack moment where I was frustrated with myself Mm -hmm. for not recognizing it earlier, but, you know, the the book The Shack that came out several years ago by William Young, and it was huge and big and popular, and I remember reading it, you know, I came out of universalism, straight-up universalism. All Mm -hmm. paths lead to God. God's at the top of the mountain. Everybody's going to work their way up there. You can be Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. You're going to get there. Okay, that's what I came out of. And yet when I read William Young's book, The Shack, I was like, this guy is a universalist. He is. I know he is. And yet, he's got all these Christian concepts worked in. He's got mm-hmm. the Trinity, even though it's a messed up version of the Trinity. <laughs> he's got the Trinity in there. He's got some discussion about sin and, and God and the cross. So maybe he's not a universalist. And so that kind of sat in my brain for a while. And then I read a book by Leonard Sweet called Jesus Manifesto. And in that book, he talked about... Um, I'll see if I can find my notes here. A lot of that book, okay, that book too, I thought, this guy's a universalist, and yet there's a lot of talk about Jesus, there's a lot of talk about the cross, a lot of very familiar terminology, and yet he talked a lot about Colossians 1, 19 through 20. And I think this is what I have decided is sort of like the proof text for people who want to maintain some kind of Christian identity, but at heart, their core, they're universalists. So here's the out-of-context scripture. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So taking that out of context, they're saying all things. All means all, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, in context, we know that though, that all things means those who are in Christ, which it says further down in Colossians. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that in Leonard Sweet's book, Jesus Manifesto, I, I was beginning, it was starting to take shape in my head. And then when I re- read Rob Bell's book and started doing even more research, and he hit the Colossians passage that I just read, I was like, okay, I get it now. Jesus is like 
the atonement, you know, the, the mechanism, as Rob Bell says, Jesus is the mechanism. The cross is the mechanism whereby everybody gets in. Okay, obviously the, the Christians do, right? Uh-huh. But then if you don't recognize that mechanism before death, you're going to have that pruning, burning off, purgatorial thing, and the secret trapdoor thing that goes on after death. And then it kind of, and then, and then I realized it. Okay, they're not straight up universalists. They're using all of this terminology, and it's going to throw people off the path because people are going to say, "Okay, well, they're orthodox," but it's redefined terms. Mm-hmm. It's not hell in the biblical sense. It's not God's wrath in the biblical sense. It's not the the cross in the biblical sense. There's nothing of repentance. There's nothing of godly sorrow for for sin committed against. The holy God. Yeah, and then, I mean, how many times does Jesus talk about, unless you repent? Unless you repent. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry in the book of Matthew, not his first words ever, you know, because he was taken to the desert and was tempted, but the very sure. first words of his public ministry were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's not anything of that in Rob Bell's book, but it is extremely downpo- downplayed to the point that it's it's um, it's not important. Well, so I want to ask, uh, having read the book, what does he mean when he says, "I I'm not a universalist because I believe that in the end, love wins and you get to choose." And, and I'm paraphrasing here, but right, right. I think it goes back to this, I think he has done so much contemplative prayer and Eastern-style mysticism that at, at his core, he's taken on this panentheistic view of the world. Panentheism is, you know, the view that God is, is in, in all things, yep. right? He's, he's, there is a transcendence uh, to God, but the, he is also interconnecting everything. And so everybody's got this little God spark inside of them, and they've just got to find the flame and fan the flame. Some of them have more of the flame, and so they get the fast pass, you know, like the fast pass you get at Disney. Uh-huh. But the ones who don't, you know, who aren't there already, then they're going to have the, <laughs> they're going to have to wait in the line mm-hmm. to get to the, you know, the front of the line and get in the pruning, the, the purgatorial burning off. I just I just don't get I, I I'm trying to put my thoughts together here in something that that can be meaningful to others, but <laughs> like if he he's not a universalist but yet he thinks that you get to choose. Well does he think that anyone ever chooses hell or chooses not to go to heaven? or chooses whatever other option he thinks might be available? Um, he talks a lot in his book about, you know, creating heaven on earth and hell on earth. There's a lot of social justice. Well, it's on earth, yeah. That's yeah, Social justice is a perfect way to put that. That's kind of that lib- yeah. liberal string that's yeah. really popular right now. But Yes. Um, on earth. I mean, that's always the key. They always say on earth because... You could just look yeah. around and see, you know, with poverty and suffering and whatnot. That well, that's you know, they'll they'll say that's hell. Right, right. And and another thing, another sense I got from the book too is that I don't know. There there didn't seem to be much of a sense of personal sin to Rob Bell when he would talk about sin. It would always be about you know out there kind of sin, like yeah. you know, sex trafficking and that kind of thing, and greedy corporate CEOs going and pillaging the earth for their own greedy, materialistic. It always just seems somewhat abstract, you know, always way out there rather than, you know, my sin, my anger, gossip, slander, um, pride, you know, things like like that. And he he had a a biblical understanding of that. Yeah, you know, I didn't think we were going to go here, but that just strikes me... um, as very similar to the president's theology, this idea of collective salvation Uh Uh and that there is no such thing as his personal salvation or personal judgment. It's all collective. And that of course he's not preaching sermons, but when you, when you listen to the president 
give a, a speech at a college graduation or whatnot, you know, he'll sometimes weave this into his speech and, and talk about collective salvation. And, and the, the implication is that I think in, in his life, he thinks that by being a radical socialist, and that's right. my term, but mm-hmm. uh, but by being a radical socialist and engaging in what he would call social justice, that that's going to not only help him get to heaven, but that's going to help all of us collectively get mm-hmm. to heaven. Does I this, agree with that. Does yeah, that tie I- in? I mean, is... Is Rob Bell of the same strain from what your your he's experience? Definitely, he's definitely of the same strain. I, you know, I think the emergent church movement, they tend to be very liberal in every way, spiritually, politically, theologically. And, you know, when you toss out the Bible, which, which they do, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Rob Bell has denied the inerrancy of Scripture. He said in a Christianity Today uh, interview that the Bible is a human product rather than the product of divine fiat. Okay, so right there he's Well, that contradicts that video we just played where he says, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Exactly, exactly. So he see, he says that, and then he's going to point to that and say, look at my statement. But what he, and if pressed on it, he'll say, well, you know, like all liberals do, there's some good stuff in there. But really, you know, we know it was tinkered with over time, and it was written by man. Uh-huh. Well, that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that all of Scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. So... So he's off there. But if you if you throw out the Bible, then what are you left with? You're left with political theory and socialism and utopia and man kind of collectively and corporately getting together. Well, I think the Apostle to Paul that. I think the Apostle Paul called it vain philosophy. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect term for what it is. It is vain philosophy, but that's really the best that man can come up with is you know, if we're not going to bend the knee to God and His plan for the world and His view for what that's going to look like, and that you know starts with individual repentance and placing faith in Christ and His atoning death, and out of that, through regenerated hearts and lives, you're going to have a change in the world. Uh-huh. Not leading to perfection, but Christians will impact the world. But if they reject all that, then the best they've got is we're just going to muscle up together and create these governments and, you know, redistribute the wealth and we'll create utopia here on Earth. Mm-hmm. That's what all political theory is about. Yeah. So what do we do now? I mean, we've got this, we've made this case on Rob Bell that that this book is exactly what his critics said it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he he's dangerous. I think we've made that case pretty well. Yeah. Where do we go with it? What do we do? Well, I think where we go is we need to recognize that even if, like, let's say, you know, I know you're in a good church, I'm in a good church, and I thank God for that, mm-hmm. but not everybody is, and, you know, I, I have family members and friends that I know are being influenced by some of these teachings, and he is a big, big, big leader. And so, you know, we need to take seriously our responsibility as Christians, and, you know, those of us who are parents, to to understand what our what our children are seeing, what's coming before our children, and what's coming out of these youth conferences where these NUMA videos and his books are so very popular. Mm-hmm. And we need to take very seriously our exhortations that are in God's Word to teach our children d- diligently in the ways of the Lord, that we should talk about them when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. And that, you know, to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I mean, that's the, that's the exhortation I, I take away from it, is that we need to recognize, we need to name these teachers, and then going forward, you know, we need to teach our children truly, deeply, about God and theology and, and, and those things that have not been important in a lot of our churches today. Mm-hmm. Well, when we first started the show, we talked about the, this history that goes back into the, the mid-19th century in the battle that went on between the conservatives and the liberals. And and um, it, it's very apparent that the battle was won at that time by the, the conservatives, those who believed. I don't, you know, we we described what we meant by fundamental. You know, we're not talking about the fundamentalists, but, but those who believe the fundamentals of, of Christian doctrine won out at that time because they understood that doctrine. They, under, they, they were Bible-reading people. 
And right. they, they were involved in churches that were solid theologically and whatnot. And that through the course of the 20th century, mm-hmm. that was, was whittled away and people were disarmed and um, kind of soothed into this uh, idea that, you know, you, you didn't need to know theology because you, know, you, you go to church and your pastors, it's kind of his job to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, people were were kind of put to sleep, and so now that bottle, that same battle is reemerging. Yes, but the uh, the cannon fodder is is right for the picking. I mean, we're we're just we're we're there. We're getting picked off by the enemy because we don't have that grounding that we we had, you know, hundred years ago or hundred fifty years ago. Right, and I, and I think a hundred hundred fifty years ago, you know, parents were were much more. Um, aware of their personal responsibility in discipling their children, yes. like I read from the Deuteronomy passage. But today, you know, I live in, in the South, and so in the Bible Belt, it's very much this mentality of you, you take them to church, and, you, and it's like, well, you just leave them, you leave them with us, or you, you get them in a good school, and that's where they're going to learn it. And almost like a hands-off attitude is, yeah. of, well, um, they're in a good school, they're in a you know, Christian school, and they're in a well, the parents don't know, it, so they can't teach the kids. So right. all they can do is, is turn them over to those that they think. Turn them over and hope. <laughs> hope for the best. But that's not what the Bible exhorts parents to do. Right. So the key is is to educate your kids, but also to educate yourself. Uh, you can't get into a good church. I mean, a lot of people can't get into good churches. You might live outside of a an urban area. Right. Right, which but, is really sad today, and that, but that is the landscape for today, yeah. for but sure. On the on the other hand, we have some awesome technology now, and and yeah. um, you you can supplement with um, some really good rock solid teaching. You know, find a good uh, Bible preacher. Well, absolutely, that you can learn and, from. You know, right, and that and that's what my husband and I did when we were leaving a church that was seeker sensitive slash emergent and going uh-huh. in a dicey direction. We looked around for several years. Well, you're right, and we're so blessed to live in this time where we can get great resources and great teaching. And on the internet, I mean, mm-hmm. I I listened to um, Grace to You for several years. I mean, that was how I I was I was fed until yeah. you know. Thankfully, God led us to a, a church that was very godly, and, and and that's where we are now. But yeah, that's a particular ministry that I really. Uh really really appreciate as well and just amazing stuff and especially now uh they've they've opened up their vault they did a couple years ago um mm-hmm. they used to charge mm-hmm. for for older sermons and now I mean, everything they've ever done is is on the web and it's free and they've got and what a uh, blessing yeah what a blessing that it, is it's a an amazing blessing and they've got android apps and iphone apps and whatnot you can mm-hmm. i i i'm just i'm just talking about grace to you but there are there are many there's, wonderful yeah. ministries out there just like so them. Right, so you can download this little app on your phone, mm-hmm. and you've got you've got hundreds, or if not thousands, of rock solid, wonderful sermons at your fingertips. You just scroll through and pick the one you want. I mean, it is an amazing. It's, it's awesome. It really is. I, you know, I, I didn't know how much I loved technology until my husband got me an iPod, <laughs> <laughs> and I realized how much data the little critter could hold. And yeah. you could just, I remember, you know, one time somebody saw my iPod and they're like, who, oh, you know, what music have you got on there? And I was like, music. You I don't have room music for music. <laughs> I don't have room <laughs> for music. What a novel idea. Mm-hmm. How interesting to put music on there. And they thought that it was hilarious that I didn't have any music on there. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I'm getting fed. Are you kidding? So, yeah. Yeah. I've got a 60 gig iPod myself and, it's there's a little bit of music on there, but there just isn't room. I mean, yeah, yeah, I have some. I mean, I shouldn't. Say I don't have any. I love, uh, I love hymns, and I found yeah. a bunch of beautiful hymns that I got loaded up. But you know, I love my Android phone so much, and and one of the things, one of the reasons I love it so much is I don't need to put all that stuff on here. Like I said, with the Grace to You app, or you know, just any any podcast, you, this show, for instance, you can plug in um, Google Listen. You just put in the address to the RSS feed and uh-huh. it doesn't download the show until you want to listen to it. When you, you decide you want to listen, you just hit download and uh, you wait a minute or two. And, and before this thing's even finished downloading, 
you can start listening to the start beginning. It's oh. it's just absolutely amazing. I just love it. And yeah. so now I'm at the point where my iPod itself is for really long distance travel. You know, we mm-hmm. drove down to Orlando, Florida a few weeks ago. I had three days driving down and two full, really long days driving back. And that's what my iPod is now. You know, I have an iPad that's kind of too big to have in the car to bring up uh, podcasts and whatnot. But, uh, well, I just got my little fancy Droid phone and I'm, and I'm sure I haven't tapped out its capabilities yet, uh, but that's good to know. So I can. Yeah. Uh, Google listen uh, is, is really awesome. And you know, I, I got the iPad cause I want to kind of have my feet in both worlds. You know, I, my dream in a short, kind of a short term dream in my of mine is to learn how to write apps. And, uh, I thought, well, I've got Android. Maybe I should get the uh, iPad. I was thinking a, a pad would be nice, kind of contemplating, should I get an Android pad or should I get an iPad? And I thought, well, if I get the iPad, then I'll have my, my feet in both worlds. And uh, mm-hmm. I like to say to people, you know, I, I, I tend to like to play it, to be able to play at all the playgrounds, not just the one in my neighborhood. <laughs> and so I'm a techno buff. and, and uh, <laughs> Yes, you are. <laughs> so I, I've got them both. And, you know, I... I I haven't found that capability on the iPad. I can, I can go into iTunes and do a search for a podcast, and okay. then find the podcast and go down to the the um, the particular episode I want to listen to and hit download and wait for it to buffer. Um, I haven't found the ability to save that feed then, so that later on when I want to listen to the next episode, I don't have to go through the whole search to do it all over again. But, oh yeah, yeah, um, I don't. You're over my head right there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that ability exists, but um, I'm still kind of learning the the yeah. Apple world right now. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that that Android side, I just I fell in love really, really quickly with what this thing is capable of. But oh, uh, well, that's good to know. I need to. I need to. Um, but circling yeah. back, yeah, circling back. You know, if your if your church is, uh, if you either don't have a church at all, or you've got a, a church that isn't great, you mm-hmm. you live outside of town, and you know. It, it's not practical to go find a rock solid church. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much great stuff on the internet you can just there download really and, and supplement. And Andy, maybe we should name a few teachers because I remember um, yeah, yeah, finding a couple of radio shows who did name a few. I'll yeah, say, I'm, I'm all for naming names on this show. I think people okay, know that so now. But we, we talked about John MacArthur and John MacArthur, Steve Lawson in Mobile is a good one. Never heard of um, Steve, but worth checking out. R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul. Uh, I like Paul Washer. Paul Washer is um, he he's pretty solid. He can be deep, and I should say he can be heavy at times. He's mm-hmm. yeah. He, I, I I think you gotta kind of understand Paul Washer to get in. I mean he he's really he's he's really I, I really admire the guy. He's really good, but you gotta understand what what his view on things is because he can come along across as, as almost legalistic at times. He can. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I think his heart is really f- to shake up the people who have sort yeah. of that cultural He's, Christian, go to church, get yeah. my heart punched. I prayed the prayer. I'm good to go. And then I just live like the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, his heart is really for that. He comes across as like a modern day Puritan in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And, but he's yeah. he's great. I, I, I don't want to detract from him, but just kind of understand who he is before you dive into mm-hmm. Paul Washer. Yeah. Uh, well, let's name a few more. There's um, Phil Johnson has a, a bunch of sermons. Phil Johnson. Online. And Phil, uh, I love Phil Johnson. Phil was a past guest. I interviewed him a year ago, February. And um, I'm actually in talks with him to do another interview, so I'm really hoping that works out. I did yeah. uh, Sola Gratia with James White. Who is another name we can throw out? James, James White is great. Is great too, and he does a lot of apologetics too. Yeah, he does. If I'm not mistaken. That's yeah. That's really the focus of James White's ministry. I think the uh, teaching at your church, Twin City Fellowship. Twin City Fellowship is, is yeah. excellent. Um, um, we've got kind of a new the uh, the pastorship has changed. Um, Bob Deway is no longer our pastor there, but uh, we. There's we, still excellent teaching. That we Bob's love Bob. Bob. His stuff is all still online. Yeah. Uh, Eric Dalma is our current pastor, and he is awesome. Right. He's a wonderful, right. wonderful pastor. And then Ryan Habana used to teach there. He used to be a pastor at, at mm-hmm. TCF, and now is at Conquering King Fellowship. His stuff is online at sermonaudio.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and your pastor. Oh, yes. Um, Ty Blackburn. 
and that's ProvidenceDuluth.org, I believe okay. is the website. He's there are, are many sermons online. Yep. Yeah. So it's it, it's just, and people can you know there are plenty more that we haven't named, but you know that's a good place to start. And isn't there a site uh, called Monergism? Yeah, Monergism.com. Uh, yeah, they just have a, that. They've got a lot of good stuff that's uh, reformed. I mean, this the site's yeah. really geared towards teaching people Calvinism and Reformed doctrine. They take uh, some views that I I don't share. There are such minor differences. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't uh, right. not recommend them. I I think they're right. rock solid, wonderful, yeah, wonderful resources. Not essential differences, right? Not essential. For instance, you know, I'm a progressive dispensationalist. They're covenant. Uh-huh. Um, I'm pre-wrath, pre-millennial, they're amillennial, mm-hmm. but we're, I mean, not, those things are so close <laughs> to where I am that it's just like, yes. you know, I, I love to call them brothers in Christ, but, right. Uh, right. and I was so grateful that uh, actually Monergism, the Monergism blog posted a link to my interview with James White when that went up, and mm-hmm. so uh, if they're happen to be listening, thank you for that, that was, yes. if you happen to be a listener that found me through them um, thanks for coming back it's it's great to have you but um, i'm gonna make one more plug if i can sure for um wretched radio and wretched tv which is um todd friel todd friel it's, it's not a teaching ministry you know he's not a pastor but i know for me that was one of the first sites i found as a new christian yeah and he he trained as a stand-up comedian and so his delivery is somewhat humorous Yep. But he also, like, he'll be making you laugh, and then all of a sudden you're in very deep water. <laughs> and he makes it enjoyable. I mean, yeah. I, just, yeah. I absolutely loved his show. And they and, have a very strong focus on evangelism, and biblical evangelism. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. roots are in evangelism, are sown with Ray Comfort and the way of the Master, and very, very solid uh, teaching. It's not just evangelism. They do talk about other topics and stuff, just like any kind of call-in radio show. They deal with um, all kinds of issues, but very evangelistically focused, and mm-hmm. and I definitely would recommend. In fact, Wretched is, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and Wretched is the only podcast that I've ever paid for. Mm, yeah, I mean, and it's worth every penny. It's five bucks a month, and you know, you get mm-hmm. two hours a day for five bucks. It's not a, not a bad price, but I don't typically pay for podcasts, but with that one, I've been listening to Todd for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. He started off here yep. in the Twin Cities Metro with... Oh, that's show. right. That's right. I keep yeah. forgetting he started out up there. He had a show called Talk the Walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. Talk the Walk got um, rolled into Way of the Master when he mm-hmm. he partnered with Ray Comfort and Kurt Ray Cameron. Comfort. And from there, he, he went to Wretched. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, t- the name's changed, but the show's pretty much the same. So yeah. yeah, I would definitely would agree. Uh, agree, and and Todd's another one I spoke with at the conference, and really hoping at some point in time to get uh, an interview with Todd. I think it would be a lot of fun to sit down with him. Yeah, that would be great. I, I like to hear interviews uh, with him. Yeah, where he's talking about the, the vision and what they do, and it's just, it's just such a unique ministry that they have. I mean, his show is in a lot of ways sort of a primer, it, almost for apologetics. I mean, he touches on so many things. Yeah. A little bit, but it's enough to kind of whet your appetite that you go, wow, that's, that's yep. interesting. I want to learn some more about that. Yep. So a lot of resources to check out. And the point being that um, you we, we need to learn the truth because the truth is the only way we're going to spot error. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't learn every false teaching and false doctrine out there. You really got to uh, learn the truth and, and from that be able to spot the false. But, uh, Christine, um, thanks not only for doing another episode with me, especially so soon after the last one. It's just (laughs) been, we've only had one other episode in between this one and the last one that you and I did. But um, (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because (laughs) I think I've kind of browbeat you into it, but I appreciate so much. (laughs) Let me come on and do this again. Well, I I appreciate it. And the biggest thing is time with me. You know, I, I did... Right away, think right. that'd be a good idea, yeah. and and I even thought about you know maybe it could be kind of the the beginnings of another podcast. We could do another show, and you and I could do it together. But and maybe that still could happen. Uh, hmm. Time kind of time kind of has a way of getting away with me, and and uh, or getting away from me. And 
whatnot. But um, and that was one idea we tossed out was maybe we it's not even maybe a regular show. Maybe we just kind of have a topic we want to talk about, so we do a show. But right, right. Uh, that would be great. Uh, and that's still that still possible. We'll we'll yeah, think about we'll it. Talk about it. <laughs> you know, I I should probably solicit feedback on that because you know I I get so little feedback. You know, if you like the idea, send me a tweet or, or send me an email, and you can do that through the website. You can find both through the website. Check out the show notes for the show at echozoe.com slash 36. Uh, this is the 36th episode, which, you know, that means at one a month, that means this is the final episode of my third year. So next month starts the fourth year of Echo Zoe Radio, which has been uh, quite a blessing. It's been It's been a lot of fun. I never thought I'd make it this far. <laughs> it's a big milestone. Well, I sat down, you know, the first the first two or three, you know, I kind of thought, well, let's just play with this and see how it goes and see if I even like doing it. And mm-hmm. I, I went out and bought the cheapest equipment I could find. I mean, short of using one of those little plastic USB mics that comes with a computer sound card. <laughs> right. I mean, that's about the only way I could have gotten cheaper. I started out with like a $10 radio shack microphones and a, a pretty cheap mixer and whatnot and equipment's been upgraded over the years and got some some really good stuff now i'm almost like up to a professional radio studio quality with some of this equipment here it's, but uh, i figured after three years of doing podcasts I, I i probably could justify the expense that's right and so, if you still have the fire at that point you know i know when we started my sister and i started writing our blog we really just kind of intended to just kind of get stuff out there for the 12 people that we thought <laughs> did it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which would have, which was fine. I mean, you yeah. know, we, we, we wanted to do it. And well, going back um, to Todd for real, he likes to joke about tens and tens of listeners and right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of closer to where you and I are actually are at, but that's right. Um, but, but that's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, there exactly. is always a remnant that wants to hear truth. And exactly. um, so we're happy to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I always talk about my primary audience being my wife and That's and my right. kids, you know, and developing a library of, of solid uh, content that, you know, if I'm involved in it, I definitely can endorse it. So mm-hmm. um, building a, a library that I can have available for my kids as they grow. And um, everybody else is just icing on the cake I, I, is the way I see it. And, and I'm so I'm so happy that that people are listening and they're they're uh, they're learning and they're enjoying the show enough to come back uh, month to month. That's that's a real blessing for me. Yep. But, uh, we live in amazing times when we can <laughs> use technology for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. You know, there's a a lot of uses for technology that are not <laughs> intended yeah. to bring glory to the Lord, and you know, so technology can be sort of a double edged sword, but. Um, you know, but it's awesome that you can be down there in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can mm-hmm. be up here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we can be talking to each other, and and um, the conversation can be heard across the world. Right, I um, know. I think that's that's phenomenal, mm-hmm. and and God has sovereignly orchestrated all of these circumstances to come together, mm-hmm. and you know, glory to Him for that. Amen. So, as I was trying to say, I guess I didn't quite get there, but um, thanks for not only doing another episode with me, but thanks for for bringing it to me. I think it was um, a good one to talk about. And um, I, I, it, was, it was good timing. Like I said, yeah. I was kind of just starting to get to that point of, of worrying. Like, is this going to be, <laughs> is this going to be the <laughs> first month where I don't have an episode? <laughs> and what am I going to do? Can I find like an old servant from church that they'll let me just like, there you go. Well, up as confidential. A, <laughs> yeah. So, and um, we'll do more. I think, You've done some good stuff with your blog, and um, I, and I really appreciate the work you put into the Rob Bell book and uh, digging in and, and finding um, the contradictions there and, and the error in his teaching and, and whatnot. And it was a good a topic. And for the listeners, if you want more, you know, we have done, well, with Christine, you can go back uh, two episodes, echozoe.com slash 34, to talk about um, her experience in the New Age and, and her testimony and um, also have a couple episodes on the new way or the a couple episodes on the emergent church. One I did with uh, Eric Dalma, who was one of those gentlemen that we recommended for for sermons. He's Eric is uh, now the, the the pastor at Twin City Fellowship. Uh, at the time, was um, a congregant and a seminary student, 
That was echozoe.com slash three, I want to say. I was, I think that was about the third episode, somewhere in our third or fourth. Uh, we talked about the uh, Emergent Church and then the one with Bob DeWay. And I can't recall exactly what episodes these were, so check the show notes at echozoe.com slash 36. We'll have um, uh, show notes for this and links to those past episodes and um, also how you can get a hold of me through uh, Twitter. Uh, there's a Facebook page, and um, which, by the way, Christine, you probably saw the, the Facebook page. It was really cool about the, um, the the Psalm 119 conference was I brought my camera and I thought it would be fun to start taking pictures with as many guests as I can. Uh, <laughs> both, And I'm going to obviously I'm gonna start with the past guests. And um, I was able to get quite a few there. You showed up. Um, David Wheaton was there. Phil Johnson and James White both I spoke. I don't think I saw the page, though, so I'll have to look for that. Oh, okay, yeah. Called? It's on 119 page. It it's on the uh, Echo Zoe podcast page at, at Facebook. Oh, okay. So I've Watch. got I've got like six or eight pictures there of. I had an old oh, one that yeah, I took. Yeah, I just pulled it up while we're talking. Okay. Yeah, I see it. That's awesome. Yeah, I had an old one that I did with um, Greg Kolkel about a year ago. That he gave me a, a photo. He was in town, but um, like I said, um, you were there. Uh, David Wheaton, who I interviewed mm-hmm. early on, I think he was about episode. 10 or so 10 11 yeah, he has a really good 12. show too yeah there you go for another name that we can drop <laughs> and like i said james white and phil johnson were both speaking there a couple of the guys from church bob DeWay obviously was there uh, carl johnson uh, so some of the guys that i see uh pretty much on a weekly basis was able to get some pictures but check out the facebook page you can it's, that's that's one of the things i've added is, is photos with past guests and I'll, to the best of my ability i'll I'll try to take pictures with people as I interview them too. So thank you very much, Christine. Well, thank you for having and me, Andy. I appreciate it. My um, little recorder's at an hour and nine and a half minutes, and I'm sure a little bit of that'll get cut out. But yeah, we've got quite a episode here. So yeah, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we did. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's always fun, and like I said, we'll probably at some point do more. Sounds good. That wraps up not only another episode, but another year of podcasting at Echozoe Radio. Thanks so much for being a part of it and for allowing me into your life once a month. Special thanks go out to all of the guests that have given me a little of their time to talk about subjects that they know well. Ryan Habana, who did two episodes in the last year with me. Nick Coldagelli, Justin Peters, Carl Johnson, Eric Greasehaber, Mike Jenrin, Dr. James White, Carla Tadler, Patrick Shalopsky, and Christine Pack, who also did two episodes. Since this episode ended up getting recorded late in the month and took some time to edit, I actually got next month's episode done before this one was released. Join me early in May for another return guest on an excellent topic. Bill Johnson of Grace to You returned for a second episode with me to talk about the Reformation doctrine of sola fide, or justification by faith alone. This was my second episode dedicated to one of the five solas of the Reformation, the first being last November with Dr. James White on sola gratia, which was episode 31. Bill Johnson and I had a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Look for that early in the month. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again in May.